We're back after uh, having become our own grandparents during the break. It just reminded me of that fucking uh, that Futurama episode where just all Roswell that ends well. The one where he did the nasty in the past. Yeah, he did. He's like, you know, Professor Farnsworth the whole time is like, you can't change the past, you can't change the past by the end of it. He's so fed up with being in Roswell that he's just like, that's it. We're breaking in, we're stealing the fuck, we're stealing Zoidberg and we're getting out of here. But I thought you said we shouldn't change history. Oh, a lesson in not changing history for Mr. I'm My Own Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, at, at that point, I think that the closed loop is probably way out of sight of the main characters. They're not going to close that paradox loop at all. Yeah. No, uh, this story in particular, um, was it? what was his name? So apparently uh, the American philosopher David Lewis considers this story uh, and by his bootstraps, also by Heinlein, to be... Uh, examples of perfectly consistent uh, time travel stories, or like, like a, a time travel story that can't undo itself. That's right. I, when when we first started talking about uh, all you zombies by Robert Heinlein, what we were we were discussing how it sounds like it's going to be a zombie story, not a time travel I was, story. No, and this is the first Heinlein that I've read, and I'm I was honestly super surprised at it because my only exposure was the film for Battleship Troopers, which. I was not expecting like a, a, I was not expecting an interesting look at gender because of just the way that that movie was, which apparently is not the way the book is at all. But yeah, no, this is my my first actual foray into Heinlein, and I'm was I'm stoked about it, like, and I was also like I enjoyed being surprised that there were no zombies. <laughs> In the end, we learned that the zombies are a metaphor for something else. Exactly, and, and we'll get to that as, uh, as we hit the timeline of this very exciting time travel story. Indeed. Um, so shall I? Yeah. All right. Uh, so All You Zombies uh, by Robert Heinlein. Uh, it starts off in uh, on November 7th in 1970 at Pop's Place, uh, a bar in New York. And uh, it's there's this bartender who's hanging out, uh, just polishing a glass, when this person comes in, an older man, uh, and like just sort he not an older man. A young man walks into the bar, he sits down, uh, someone puts uh, I Am My Own Grandpa on the jukebox and he freaks out and tells the guy to shut it off. Uh, and he sits down and they start to have a discussion ab about the uh, young visitor's life. So the bartender's asking this man, you know, sort of his story. And we find out that the young man uh, was actually a woman. Uh, he was born a woman and uh, even had a child. So uh, this person uh, grows up an orphan, uh, an orphan girl. Uh, she tries to join uh, a group of people that are supposed to go out on deep space exploration and sort of like be like the, um, the USO girls for like people in deep space. Uh, but that doesn't work out. Uh, she ends up getting pregnant uh, by a gentleman that she meets uh, in 1963 with a wad full of hundreds in his pocket, and he just pieces out, leaving her pregnant. And uh, she has the baby. Uh, the baby is then later stolen from her, and uh, she has a, a sex change operation like the doctor realizes that she has equally viable male and female sex organs so it's already like it's not like quite accurate to human biology but for the purposes of science fiction uh this woman uh 
her body is changed to become a man, and that's the man who sits here today uh, in the story in 1970 at Pop's Place. And, you know, this person's like, ah, if I ever ran into the man who got me pregnant again, like, uh, give him a piece of my mind. And the bartender's like, oh, really? Um, okay, let's, uh, let's see how this goes. So the bartender takes the young man to the back room of the bar where uh, he pulls out this uh, device and that's like sort of a net and like cast it over both of them. And they're whisked away uh, to Cleveland, Ohio in 1963. And he gives the young man uh, a pocket full of hundreds and is like, here man, go nuts, go find the dude. And after he leaves, the bartender time travels again to 1964, where uh, this, where the unwed mother, who is referred to only as that, the man who came in at the beginning of the story, is still a woman, has given birth to a baby girl, and he has stolen the baby girl uh, in 1964, and then uh, drops it off at an orphanage in 1945 in Cleveland. Or no, drops it off at the... Uh, the Skyview Motel. The bartender steals the baby and takes her to uh, the 20th of September, 1945, to the Skyview Motel in Cleveland and leaves the baby in a grocery box uh, and then jumps forward in time to the Apex building in 1963, uh, where he spots the young man that he took back in time who is with the young girl and is, like, super happy with her. And he... Snags her. He snags him, and he's like, uh, "I'm back to pick you up." And he's like, "You like?" He's super surprised to see the time traveler again because he's like happy and with this woman who he met, and uh, like he's just like, I don't know if I want to save this for quotes or not. I'm gonna just do it now. He takes the young man aside and he says, uh, and the young man says. Me, now you know who he is, and after you think it over, you'll know who you are. And if you think hard enough, you'll figure out who the baby is and who I am. He didn't answer. He was badly shaken. It's a shock to have to be proved. It's a shock to have to be proved to you that you can't resist seducing yourself. I took him to the Apex building and we jumped again. So from there, we go to uh, the 12th of August, 1985, in the Sub Rockies base of the Temporal Corps, who are these sort of like time cops. And uh, he brings the man in uh, to be recruited. Uh, and then from there, he jumps back to November in uh, 1970 in New York City to Pop's place, where uh, he, clear he leaves a note for his day manager in the register and uh, decides to uh, take off. Uh, and then he jumps from there to January 12th in 1993, back to the Temporal, Temporal Corps headquarters, and sort of reflects on what else happened. And it's pretty obvious that this man is simultaneously his father, mother, daughter, and son. It's all the same person. Like, he is the baby. He was the baby who was born a girl, left to be put into an orphanage, seduced by a young man, loses that baby, grows up to become the young man who seduces the young lady, and then later, when he finds out about time travel, to become the old man who brings himself back in time to have sex with his younger self. 
And it just ends with these like very uh, choice observations about time travel. These very interesting rules that time travel, the time travel, the temporal core has. And so I'm sorry. Is that? Uh, it's a little bit of a mind fuck, but yeah, I, I think that that's where we that's where we come from, and that's where we go, and and we find out that instead of there being zombies in the story, it's actually from a phrase which we'll talk about more during the quotations place, but it's. I know where I came from, but where did all you zombies come from? I tried to explain it as best I can, but I feel like if you read it, it makes more sense. Uh, if you go to Wikipedia, there's actually a good like chronological explanation of everything that happens in its like oral order according to time. Um, but that would kind of defeat the purpose of the story of time, the the element of time travel in the story. Yeah, we we have a couple different narrative. Uh, tricks being played in the story, one for the benefit of the main character and one for the benefit of the narrator, who's an unreliable narrator and is also the main character. Exactly. And it's a, it's just so weird. Like, I, I just love it. Like, this was such a great Heinlein to start on with because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't expect from Heinlein. Incisive gender stuff I really didn't think that he was going to give me, which, like, this... This story has, like, a few instances where I was just, like, really kind of taken aback and sort of, like... Like, these are just really interesting ways to think of gender and identity and the way that people change over time. Yeah. It, no, it's a very good observation of that. And and um, a lot of the ideas about how someone would react in terms of coming from gender more come from a place of situational. Mm. Because, uh, you know, we have the character who is a male rubbing his cesarean section... We have all these interesting takes coming from different gender and, and identity uh, points of view. And they're all about the same character as shown through a cross-section of time. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that, do you feel like we can jump into some quotes? Yeah, let's do it. All right. uh, was it, there was this one that I really liked. Um, as soon as the, the, unwed the unmarried mother enters the bar, maybe I'm too critical. He wasn't a swish. His nickname came from what he always said... What he always said when he was, when someone knows he asked him his line. I'm an unmarried mother. If he felt less than murderous, he would add, at four cents a word, I write confession stories. I thought that, that was super interesting uh, for a few reasons. Number one, like, I love that um, he wasn't a swish, which this, I love how this was written in 1959. The only other place that I've heard the word swish used as, like, a slander for queers was uh, L.A. Confidential. Like, Danny DeVito is like, did you know he's a swish? That's a pretty good observation. I, I never noticed that watching that movie. So, no, it's uh, it, it's really great. It's like, you know, like he's an unmarried mother. He wasn't, like, gay or anything. He just used to be a woman. And I also love that, you know, at four cents, at four cents a word, I write confession stories. So, like, the unwed mother, the unmarried mother, is um, making his living at writing, which... I feel like there's a lot of references that come back to writers in this, even though the character himself is not a writer. I feel like it's very, like, Heinlein injecting his own craft into his story. Right, and and, and this story is that. It is a confessional of sorts. A, con a confessional un unbound by time. I poured myself one, leaned toward him. Matter of fact, I said, you write a nice stick. I've sampled a few. You have an amazingly sure touch with the woman's angle. No, I love that bit where it's the the bartender is just like sliding him a drink. He's like, I've, I've read your stuff, you know. It's a uh, you write you write women really well, and yeah. It it is a great uh, almost metafictional take on talking about the author through the book, 
uh, rather than the main character and the narrator talking about the story. Exactly. It's like, well, how do you write women so well? And, and the, the unmarried mother's like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Now, now, I answered mildly. Bartenders and psychiatrists learn that nothing is stranger than the truth. Why, son, if you heard the stories I do, well, you'd make yourself rich. Incredible. Which, I love that. Uh, just I think that that's like a really cute little line that's... Uh, I, I think it's hilarious. Bartenders and psychiatrists learn that nothing is stranger than truth. Yeah, and it, it's a good theme that you see in a lot of different stories, both science fiction and... Uh... After... After the unmarried mother sits down for a bit and confides a few things, including sort of uh, the sex change aspect, which gets elaborated on a lot more later, but, you know, the young man who walks into the bar is uh, incredibly resentful for most of his past, like, you know, having to grow up in an orphanage in Cleveland and just not being okay with the hand he's been dealt. Uh, The bartender has, like, this... Or, no, he has this amazing response to the bartender, like... I made a solemn vow that any kid of mine would have both a pop and a mom. It kept me pure, quite a feat in that vicinity. I had to learn to fight to manage it. Then I got older and I realized I stood darn little chance of getting married. For the same reason I hadn't been adopted. He scowled. I was horse-faced and buck-toothed, flat-chested, and straight-haired. <laughs> oh, so it's the, a gent who's been dealt a very rough hand as far as, uh, as, far as hands go. Is it? The, the bartender says, you don't look any worse than I do. And then the, the young man says, who cares how a barkeep looks or a writer? The people wanting to adopt a, adopt pick a little blue-eyed, golden-haired morons. Later on, boys with bulging breasts, a cute face, and, oh, you wonderful little male manner, he shrugged. I couldn't compete, so I just decided to join the wenches. Now, what are the wenches? Let, let's let's talk about the wenches. What's, what does the acronym wenches stand for? So, wenches, according to this, is stands for Women's Hospitality Order Refortifying and Encouraging Spacemen. Yeah, so we are basically talking about, uh, you know, an outer space USO type of situation. Maybe with, like, a little more involved in that. Uh, it was it when he talks about uh, the stuff that he went through as a woman to try to join the wenches... Um, a gal had to be respectable, preferably a virgin. They liked to train them from scratch. Above average mentally and stable emotionally. But most volunteers were old hookers or neurotics who would crack up ten days off Earth. It sounds like a great group to be in if you're trying to get in this space, right? I know. He concludes that with nothing too good for our boys. <laughs> I mean, that's that's another funny thing that that's great about that quote. It's very sly, but we don't realize until... Uh, as we get further in, how much technology has actually moved forward a lot and how Mm. much of a science fiction uh, story this is other than just Mm. being a time travel. We're also talking about a lot of different space agencies. It is a very different society in some ways from the one that we live in. No, it super is. Like, you know, they've already gotten this sort of like interstellar travel thing parsed out before the 1970s. So this is a very interesting tangential timeline that I can only assume... All of these advancements happen sooner because time travel is a thing here. Exactly. That was that was my guess as well, was that due directly to there being a time travel core and, and this paradox in motion, we have this sort of move forward in, in technology. Exactly. So um, after, she, uh, after she doesn't um, really cut it uh, to join the wenches, she says, Then I met the city slicker with his $100 bills, he scowled. The no good actually did have a wad of hundred dollar bills. He showed me one night. 
he told me to he told me to help myself. And it's not the only time in the story that that it, that that money is used this way and with that wording, I believe. Right? No, it, no, it's like that, or like you know, there's another thing we kind of skipped over it in terms of the quotes, but like you know, he starts uh, he starts off with this guy's tale where he's like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna wager you a bet, like this bottle of alcohol, it's all yours uh if this if this turns out a certain way and uh there's nothing like hedging on destiny right especially if you know the outcome exactly so it's like this weird thing where it's like money and sure bets like are very suspect i think in this story is that he had me higher than a kite those skin flints i lived with ignored me ignored it as long as i could work then kicked me out and the orphanage wouldn't take me back i landed in a charity ward surrounded by other big bellies and trotted bedpans until my time came so she gets pregnant by this guy who ditches her, and she gives birth in a charity award. Yeah, and it's very against what the unwed mother uh, always said about what he she wanted when they grew up or for their own child, which was to have a mom and a pop, mm-hmm. and to not be in those very situations. Yeah, no, like her, like, you know, we, we learned this from him slash her, like, you know, just... I hated the way that I grew up, and I, if I ever had a child, I would never, I would, I, that child would have a mother and a father, which is such a pregnant statement. Literally pregnant. Yeah. So, um, after she has this baby girl, it kind of, uh, messes up her insides. The doctors have a very interesting, uh, a very interesting approach to, uh, how to fix her. Take it easy. When I opened you, I found a mess. I sent for the chief of surgery while I got the baby out. Then we held a consultation with you on the table and worked for hours to salvage what we could. You had two full sets of organs, both immature, but with the female set well enough developed for you to have a baby. They could never be any use to you again, so we took them out and rearranged things so that you can develop properly as a man. Put a hand on me. Don't worry. You're young. Your bones will readjust. We'll watch your glandular balance and make a fine young man out of you. Yeah. Which, I actually found that bit super interesting, because I don't know if you're aware of this uh, phenomenon that used to happen with uh, intersex children when they were born. It was just, I I think it actually, uh, I think the last case I remember hearing about this was like in the 90s, and and I'm sure it must have happened since then, but like, it was very common when uh, intersex children are born, where the doctor would just be like, you know, it's just easier to go female, to just, you know pick like the easier gender to reshape like the genitals to look like and you're fixed. And I think it's interesting that that's, um, that there is this sort of disregard in Heinlein for gender identities. Like there's this thing where it's like, well, uh, you can be a man or a woman. Uh, do you want to do this? And because this person is old enough, like they can sort of consent to that. But then they're also sort of like, he, he's also just been along for this ride for most of his life, feeling somewhat out of control, which is incredibly ironic given the circumstances of, how his life happened. And, and on the lines of, of not having control, there's some uh, comparability between uh, a newly born child having the choice for what their gender is going to be seemingly taken out of their hands by a doctor who made a choice. And this doctor who did this while the patient mm-hmm. was on the operating table, similarly unable to give consent towards the decision. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And was it? It even goes on like it's even worse too, where she's she's just like, well, if you do this, how can I nurse my baby? And he's like, well, you already kind of can't nurse your baby. Like you don't have, you're not you're not producing enough milk for the baby. Like you could give the baby up for adoption, and she's just like, absolutely not, because she remembers like her upbringing. And he shrugged. The choice is yours. 
you're her mother. Well, her parent. Uh, but don't worry. Now we'll get you. We'll get her. We'll get you well first. So like, I love. You're her mother. Well, her parent. So like, the doctor is already kind of dismissive of a female gender identity for this person. So the next day they let me see the kid, and I saw her daily, trying to get used to her. I had never seen a brand new baby, and I had no idea how awful they look. My daughter looked like an orange monkey. My feelings changed. My feelings changed to cold determination to do right by her. But four weeks later, that didn't mean anything. Eh? She was snatched. So, I mean, first that's, like, devastating, but I kind of want to talk about... It's this thing that I love where... We we can all admit it, right? Like, babies are ugly? Yeah. I'm not... Like, I'm not... They're adorable, like... But, like, as soon as they're born, like, they're not really... They're not shaped yet. They're, yeah, no, and they're not, like, really cute. Like, they're kind of weird. There's there's something very uncanny about babies, where it's like... And I just love the description of a baby that's just, like, like an orange monkey. Right, and and going along, kind of, with Heinlein and talking about, uh, you know, c- coming from a gender point of view, there's definitely this idea that, that, you know, comes from past cultural history that mothers are predisposed to being biologically wanting to save their child and being connected with them. And in many ways, this character uh, hasn't been afforded that opportunity mm-hmm. due to, you know, both time travel and, and uh, gender reassignment and the way that gender is perceived of this individual in this universe. Mm-hmm. They've, they've kind of taken away from, by, by not being able to breastfeed, they've sort of eliminated the ability of the parent and child to be able to connect in that way. Yeah. When the bartender asks what uh, the father looked like, um, the man just responds. Just a man with a face-shaped face like yours or mine. He frowned. I think it was the baby's father. The nurse swore was an older man, but he probably used makeup. Who else would swipe my baby? Childless women pull such stunts, but who ever heard of a man doing it? Yeah, no, like, yeah, and it's like, who stole the baby? It's like, well, probably the father. I couldn't think of who else would. You know, and actually that's really strangely goes along with most most cases of custodial interference are, it is the father. It's usually if a kid goes missing, it's the other parent, if the parents are separated. Right, and this and this does a good job uh, more of playing with gender roles again, of, of the idea of, well, only mothers would do this. What kind of, what kind of man would do mm-hmm. this? And the idea that there would be no real motivation otherwise for for the father to do this. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also like it's very strange to me because it's like there's like I would never do this to my child, but like in this situation it's very strange because it's like you are your child. Like you she actually didn't give up on her her child. She's the one that came back for it, but in the future. And the child is also her. Like Right. I mean, you know, obviously the child doesn't have the the same long view as the adult version of herself of being able to know how the how things are going to turn out so she still has to allow herself to feel the betrayal the abandonment all of those things before she can make a reunion even though it's not a reunion in the same point in time yeah 11 months of that grim place and three operations in four months i started to grow a beard before i was out i was shaving regularly and no longer doubted i was male he grinned wryly i was staring down nurse's necklines so i love it he gets gender reassignment and is immediate, like is just indistinguishable from like sort of like the stereotype of a heterosexual male. Like, yeah, he's like yeah, I like my women. That's yeah. right. It, it, he, immediately, the 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 unwed mother becomes the uh, man with a face shaped face, 
And not just a face-shaped face, but also a man's wants and needs. Mm-hmm. At, at least as dictated by what these people are, are tra- training her to become. Yeah, exactly. And just sort of like the, the way gender and science work in the story, it all falls in line where it's like, it's, you know, it's all based on sort of like a body shape and like, uh, and a function to fulfill in the world. Right. A function whether uh, that, that's biologically and, and gender oriented. Was it? Uh, I love that. So this is 1960, but it's like the, the man's like, have you ever heard the expression, a ruined woman? Mm, many years ago. Doesn't mean much today, which I kind of like that acceptance. It's like, yeah, sometimes women don't are married to the dudes who who have their babies. Like it's cool. So uh, when the when the man's trying to uh, when the young man's trying to figure out a way to like make a living, because like obviously now that he's a man, he can't become one of the wenches. Uh, he decides uh, he he decided to start writing. He got the idea, bought a stack of confessional magazines, and studied them. He looked cynical. Now you know how I get the authentic woman's angle on an unmarried mother story, though the only version I haven't sold, the true one, do I win the bottle? Like, yeah, did did I tell you a story, like, fucked up enough for me to win that bottle? And it's like, I, I think that's super interesting. Yeah, and it, and it fits further also with what we're talking about, about viewing this as a person and, and how they feel about themselves and the world as they go through life. Mm-hmm. And interesting, like like that, and also just the way a writer does it, because it's like this, you know, this person who's like, you know, writers love to write about writers, and this writer who's standing in, it's like, ah, you write such good confessional stories, you know, do you want to know the only the only true unwed mother's angle I ever wrote, or the only one that I the only one I never wrote is the one that was true, like the one that was so personal, like I actually couldn't convey it. Right, we have to have all these different layers in order for the full story to be told. You can't just have the the author talking about coming from a woman's point of view. You can't just have the author being an author in their story talking about coming from the woman's point of view. You have several other layers separating the author and what they're trying to communicate and what truth they're trying to communicate based on what they know. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, was it the, um, I love that this bit where the uh, the bartender, he, he starts to cut the shit a little, and he offers the young man a job. You don't like your work. What would you say to high pay, steady work, unlimited expense account, your own boss on the job, and lots of variety and adventure? He stared. I'd say, get the goddamn reindeer off my roof. Shove it, Pop, there's no such job. Okay, put it this way. I hand him to you, you settle with him, then try my job. If it's not all I claim, well... I can't hold you. He was wavering. The last drink did it. When did you when do you deliver in? He asked thickly. He shoved his hand out. It's a deal. If it's a deal, right now. I nodded to my assistant to watch both ends. Noted the time. Twenty three hundred. Started to duck through the gate under the bar, then the jukebox blared out. I'm my own grandpa. The serviceman had orders to load it with Americana and classics because I couldn't stomach the music of the seventies. But I hadn't known the tape was. But I hadn't known what tape was in. I called out, "Shut that off! Give me the cus- Give the customer his money back." I added, "Storeroom, back in a moment," and headed there with my unmarried mo- mother following. So, <laughs> the story feels so much like if Men in Black were all about you know in the the one agent trying to recruit Agent Smith to be his replacement, and then you find out in the end Tommy Lee Jones was. Uh, Will Smith the whole time. Yeah, it's got a very strange <laughs> feeling to it. Was it? I mean, as far as I understand, isn't that kind of a weird deal with like uh, Men in Black Three, where it's like you find out that I haven't seen it, but it's like you find out that K and J actually have 
a lot more story than what has been alluded to in the first two movies. Yeah, exactly. Um, was it? I love that bit where it's, um, I couldn't stomach the music of the 1970s. <laughs> it's 1959, but I feel like a lot of people still can't stomach the music of the 1970s. I like it, but, um, but I, I just love that. Where it's like, there's, there's always someone who hates a decade of music. Yeah, and when you're a time traveler, you definitely get the choice to choose what you listen to at that point. Uh, it's also, like, uh, one of the most perfect ways to deal with time travel, like, or, like, it's better to show someone than to tell them, or it's like, what if I told you I had a great job for you? It's like, I'd say you could shove it. That sounds bullshit. All right, I'm going to help you get even with your dad. Great, let's do that. Was it? He br- he takes him into the back room and throws, like, this, and I think that this is, like, probably one of the coolest, like, descriptions of time travel is, like, this machine that he uses. Hey, he yelled and stepped back. There's a technique to this. The net has to be thrown so that the subject will instinctively step back onto the metal mesh. Then you close the net with both of you inside completely, else you might leave shoe soles behind or a piece of foot or scoop up a slice of floor. But that's all the skill it takes. Some agents con a subject into the net. I tell the truth and use the instant of utter astonishment to flip the switch, which I did. See, I love that, too, where it's like... I think that's a super interesting, like, mechanic for time travel. It's, like, it's a net. You have to, like, throw this net and, like, be in it, and you can't be out of it, or else part of you is going to get left out of it. I, I like the visual of that. And I also like the way where he's, like, you know, some agents try to con people into that. And it's like, oh, just step on that over there. Tenor's approach. And while they process what the truth is, it will have been too late. Like, you will have taken them. Right, and, and the net is such a great metaphor because they're literally trapping the people in it no exactly you're like enmeshed now within your own like within your own time paradox from there he goes to 1963 uh and he's like you know ah take this damn thing off and uh i pointed out a window does that look like november or new york while he was gawking at the new buds in spring weather i reopened the case took out a packet of hundred dollar bills Check that the numbers and signatures were compatible with 1973. The Temporal Bureau doesn't care much if you spend. It costs nothing, but they don't like unnecessary anachronisms. Too many mistakes, and General Court Martial will exile you for a year in a nasty period, say 1974, with its strict rationing and forced labor. I never make mistakes. The money was okay. Which, that's one of the things that I always considered uh, in most time travel fiction, where it's like, how does money work? There are certain bills you can't spend because they haven't been printed yet. Like, that's kind of a weird... And I can understand why that's, like, a big deal of punishment within the temporal court. Yeah, and it calls to mind also in Back to the Future when Doc Brown goes through time and he has a briefcase of of money that he knows he can use in each time period to not cause any, exactly. any change. No, I love that scene in Back to the Future, too, where he just, like, he opens, like, what year are we in? Okay, this. And it's, yeah, there's, like, a lot of really interesting-looking bills in there. But, you know, like, money is not... So he takes the man back in time, gives him a, a bunch of $100 bills. And the I, disgusting wad of cash. Exactly. And I love this line, because it's like, it's simultaneous... It's like a... It's a very sly and sick manipulation, like, of the truth, because it's like, if you're... Like, if you're the reader, I feel like we're sort of getting a very good idea of what's happening up until this point. But this line is, like, just a little horrible to me. $100 bills have a hypnotic effect on a person not used to them. The easiest way to manipulate someone who's in a bad way is to offer them money, and not just money. Like there, obviously, there are sums of money higher than hundred dollar bills, multiples thereof. But like, yeah, like there are people where it's like, you know, 
if you're poor enough, that shit looks like incredibly impressive, and you will believe anything they say. It's a level of money that they can understand. If you were to offer money that was too large, it suddenly becomes unrealistic and untied to them. Exactly. Is it uh, the next time? Is it so? Then he jumps forward in time, 10th of March, 1964. Uh, I hired a car, went to the hospital. I took 20 minutes to bore the nursery attendant to a point where I could swipe the baby without being noticed. We went back to the Apex building. The style was more involved, as the building did not exist yet in 1945. But I have pre-calculated it. Jean was sleeping soundly. I carried her out, put her in a grocery box on the seat of a car I had provided earlier, drove to the orphanage, put her on the steps, drove two blocks to a service station, the petroleum product sort, and phoned the orphanage. Drove back in time to see them taking the box inside, kept going, and abandoned the car near the motel. Walked to it and jumped forward to the Apex building in 1963. And uh, it's at this point uh, he decides to pick up the gentleman. Like, uh, I had cut the time rather fine. Temporal accuracy depends on span, except on return to zero. If I had it right, Jane was discovering... If I had it right, Jane was discovering out in the park this balmy spring night that she wasn't quite as nice a girl as she thought. I grabbed a taxi to the home of those skin flints, had the, hickey wait, had the hick, hacky wait around the corner while I lurked in the shadows. Presently, I spotted them down the street, arms around each other. He took her up to the porch, made a long job of kissing her goodnight, longer than I thought. Uh, then, she went, then she went in, and, came down, and he came down the walk, turned away. I, slipped, I slid in step and hooked an arm in his. That's all, son, I announced quietly. I'm back to pick you up. You? He gasped and caught his breath. Me, now you know who he is. And after you think it over, you'll know who you are. And if you think hard enough, you'll figure out who the baby is and who I am. He didn't answer. He was badly shaken. Such a mind-blowing yeah. uh, twist. I mean, the it, it, it actually is what calls to the to the title of the, of the story, which is All You Zombies, because in the same way that Destiny has screwed over this individual up until this point, all of her past self versions of herself were zombies forced mm-hmm. to, you know, blindly move forward in history up yeah. until this point. Exactly. Now there's, yeah, there is this very sort of like on trudging thing. And it's, it's weird. It's like the only person who has any agency in this time travel story is the person setting it up, except all of the victims are versions of him. They're him at different points in his life being manipulated to, this end where he can become essentially a time a time lord. Right, and 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 you know it's also kind of like a a microcosm of the idea of how people's lives in the story are completely defined by what their gender is, what their role in life, what their mm. purpose in life is. All of those things are already decided before the main character ever did anything, before they were even born. Exactly. By themselves. Yeah. No, and it's like it's the weirdest transcending of pain by like really weirdly accepting that you're responsible for your your own pain or like having at least the delusion that you are responsible for your own pain that like if i went through this it's because i chose to go through this right which is a metaphysical concept that a lot of people who believe in reincarnation have a similar mm-hmm. idea about is this idea that uh, pre-uterus we all hung around in some sort of waiting area and got to pick exactly what sort of lessons we needed to have occur Mm -hmm. to ourselves when we went through life beforehand Mm -hmm. and it's all towards some sort of meaning that we don't understand while it's happening to us yeah and it's interestingly what retroactive because it's like this guy only became who he was because of the prop the the hardships that he faced as both a man and a woman and 
he is also simultaneously the cause, but he still grew up re- grew up remembering all of it. Like, but it's this weird thing where it's I I kind of wonder what would happen like like a time travel story where you don't undo the trauma. The time travel is the tra- simultaneously the trauma and the justification of the trauma. Like, wow. Uh, I mean, it 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 certainly begs to question what free will even is in this story. Yeah. No, it's it could really really kind of reminds me of that line from Westworld where it's like you know you know we're caught in our loops too, like these machines go out and they sort of do the same things over and over again. Everyone's caught in their own loop. It, the world looks expansive and amazing, but sometimes it's reducible to circumstance, and sometimes it's reducible to a circumstance that we initiated. That's right, and the the author has the the narrator, the the unwed mother. Uh, they all have to some degree, some level of uh, insight that we're never going to get in, you know, one direction in time because they know that their purpose was completely necessary, that everything was towards something. It's towards who they end up and who they'll end up being, but with no choice in the matter, whereas we all assume we have a choice in that matter. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, was it? Do you want to... Like, he picks up the, the man, uh, he takes him to join up with the Temporal core, and then back to the bar, where uh, I, my own grandpa is still playing. Like, hasn't been taken off yet. And, and the loop's closed. You know, he's like, oh, let, let, and the guy's like, oh, let the guy play it and then unplug it. And then we have this bit, which I thought was incredibly enigmatic and super interesting. And, it's rough, but somebody must do it, and it's very hard to recruit anyone in the later years since the mistake of 1972. Can you think of a better source than to pick people all fouled up where they are and give them well-paid, interesting, even though dangerous, work in a necessary cause? Everybody knows now why the Fizzle War of 1963 fizzled. The bomb with New York's number on it didn't go off. A hundred other things didn't go as planned, all arranged by the likes of me. But not the mistake of 72. That one is not our fault and can't be undone. There's no paradox to resolve. A thing either is or isn't, now and forever, amen. But there won't be another like it. An order dated 1992 takes precedence any year. I have so many questions. <laughs> no, it's, I love that too, where it's like we were, we were just talking about, you know, the traumas that one goes through, like, in order to join up with this, and then we are immediately confronted with atrocities that never happened because this person was their own mother, father, and abductor. It's this weird, like, you know, my, all my suffering was justified because it brought me to a place where I'm well-paid, I can save lives and time, and... And I'm invested in and, it. And I'm invested in it. Like, I actually, like, I am a part of this. But one of the things that really fucks with me about this is, but not the mistake of 1972, that one's not our fault and can't be undone. There's no paradox there. Like, what happened in 1972? It's a fantastic bit of world-building, and it reminds me a lot of what we were talking about in Omelas before, almost, too, about the idea of the author telling us what to imagine and what not to imagine. We have all of this information mm. about something that we're missing that we're never mm. going to find out, and it's informing a huge part of this story. Yeah, no, and it super is. And I'm just like, it, my mind is just poking at that, and it's we and in researching this, we found out that... Uh, uh, the temporal core and the Ouroboros are—they recur in other Heinlein works. So I'm wondering if one of those others expand on what the mistake of 1972 is. If anyone out there knows, please let us know, like where to find that. Like I'm, I'm super—I want to know what's going on. And we'll look out for it as we see future Heinlein. Yes. Yeah. So he um, was it after he drops the man, the young man off. I closed 
I closed five minutes early, leaving a letter in the cash register telling my day manager that I was accepting his offer to buy me out to see my lawyer as I was leaving on a long vacation. The bureau might or might not pick up his payments, but they want things left tidy. I went to the room in the back. I went to the room in the back of the storeroom and forward to 1993. And then from 1993, uh, he checks in with his duty officer with the temporal headquarters in the sub Rockies. Uh, I fetched the bottle we bet after all I won it and took a drink before I wrote my report. It tasted foul. I wonder why I ever liked old underwear. Oh, right, the whiskey is called old underwear. <laughs> Completely forgot. Oh my god, this is brilliant. But it was better than nothing. I don't like to be cold sober. I think too much. But I don't really hit the bottle either. Other people have snakes. I have people. Other people have snakes. I have people. This is like kind of this weird thing where it's like it. Just sort of like going through all of this bullshit, sort of self-torturing to become a time lord, essentially. This thing that is beyond space and time. This thing that can alter events and, like, stop apocalypses. Like, this person eventually does come to look at people as a kind of pet. Which is already kind of... It's very unsettling and also very... I feel like natural. It's the natural progression of what you would do if you were unbound by time and human morality. And, and on top of that... Um... I mean, and, and this gets to a quote we're going to, I guess, talk about uh, at the end, which is the title of the story. Mm. Uh, are we no, there? No, we are. But hold on real quick. Like, so I want to do just the bylaws of time. Yes. It's it, it's written, it's not quite as punchy as, like, Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, but, like, I really like them. I feel like they're great. They're I think they were worth a read. Let's do it. Let's do it. So um, the bylaws of time are never do yesterday what should be done tomorrow. If at last you do succeed, never try again. A stitch in time saves nine billion. A paradox may be paradoctored. It's easier when you think. I, I just like that one. It's easier when you think. <laughs> Ancestors are just people. Which, that's really weirdly to me just good advice. Like, I think about just like the great ancestors that came before. I had an ancestor who fought on the side of the Confederacy. Ancestors are just people. <laughs> Not not good or evil, not like or like good or evil. They're either of those things, probably both, and also just people. Like and uh, even Jove nods, which I'm really not sure what that last one means. Like even even the the king of the gods nods. I, I mean, a lot of what I think these rules are 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 applicable towards is kind of the ineffability of time travel, the the whole absurdity of putting rules on something as ridiculous and outside of humanity as being able to control the flow of people's destinies in time. Yeah. It, the, the humor is bent to it. it. It's sort of like, it's it's almost mocking this idea that they're even having to have rules. It's more like what you said, like common sense. <laughs> no, it's like, they're just adorable ones. Like, ne- if at last you do succeed, never try again. <laughs> it's, it's cute because it's just like, there have been so many, like the entire point of the butterfly effect, that shitty movie with Ashton Kutcher was just like, <laughs> Uh, I keep trying to change the past, man, but it keeps getting worse. And it's like, once you hit that sweet spot where everything works, leave it alone. Yeah, most of these rules apply that way. It's it's if you actually look at them, they they're they're kind of telling you what to expect when you're time traveling and what not to expect. Yeah, and it's it's even weirder because it's it. I think there's kind of a be honest because they're called the bylaws of time, not the bylaws of time travel. So there's almost a weird thing where it's like, if you're, even us, the non-time travelers, are adept enough to understand the wisdom in those statements, they kind of are supposed to make a certain type of sense. And they're like, they have this really wonderful sort of like, like you said, like they're funny and they're punchy in this way that's like, like uh, William Blake's Proverbs of Hell. Like, 
like the worm condemns the plow, not himself type deal. Like they're exactly they're these very like contained statements that are very dark and wry. They're very dark and wry, but they they also are uh, able to be used as guidelines as well if you break down mm. the informational part of them versus the jokey part of them. Exactly. Which you kind of need to be a little bit jokey in order to be able to handle the metaphysics and 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 ineffableness of it all anyway. Mm. Yep. So yeah, this is a biological time. I think they're great. <laughs> Good uh, rules to live by, regardless of what time period you're in. Uh, do you want to give us the money shot? Let's do it. The money shot. Um, <laughs> then I glanced at the ring on my finger. The snake that eats its own tail forever and ever. I know where I came from, but where did all you zombies come from? I I just, I really love this for the title of the story and, and for the theme of the story because... It has a lot of different layers. Um, there's there's the layer of the thought experiment about whether um, the person contemplating their own existence is the only real person and everyone else around them might be zombies mm-hmm. that act out actions the way they're supposed to, but with no real mm-hmm. drive or inner will or soul. Yeah. And from the point of view of the, you know, the bartender, the or any version of her or him throughout time it's there's a clear purpose there's a clear beginning and end game of sorts but where the hell the rest of the other people come from and what's their purpose yeah and you know there's there's that angle of it there's the idea that uh the due to being constrained by destiny and time travel all the different versions of the main character were just shambling zombies with no free will or thought heading towards their inevitable destiny yeah. Well, no, and it's like, I think it might, and I, I think it feeds into this thing that's even more disturbing is like, if we, the he- like, you know, we, you know, we people who are unaware of the intricate workings of fourth dimensional travel, like, you know, and the ability to like, you know, the ability to perceive time, at least less non-linearly, he still seems to experience time in a linear fashion, right. but like, it's sort of like above it. Like, right. There's a chronology to the character's yeah. life and story from their point of view, but that, too, still has a level of, of, of existing in a beginning-to-end yeah. order. Yeah, and it's, like, it's even kind of darker, too, because it's, like, he, you know, he says earlier, like, we talked about it, it's, like, you know, some people keep snakes, I have people. And it's a thing that we didn't bring up, but he wears an Ouroboros ring, the, the snake that continually eats itself. That's like, I, I guess that also shows up in other Heinlein stories as well, but it's, you know, this reminder of sort of, the you know the eternal returns of time like this sort of like notion of like you know time in this closed loop and this paradox which has to play itself out in its own way it gave this man the ability to stop horrible things to be simultaneously his own mother father and daughter and to play chess with all of them but the thing that's interesting to me is that he says i know where i came from uh, where did all of you zombies come from? Like, basically, I'm the person who who has, like, an intimate knowledge of the circumstances surrounding my beginning, my growing up, my everything. Like, I am the first fully possessed, like, fully formed person just, like, in my... Like, he gave birth to himself, literally. Almost like a transcendental experience of a human being going through life. No, and there's, like, there's these two... It, it recurs in literature that I could remember two other places, and it's just as jarring to me. In Paradise Lost, uh, when Satan's like trying to rouse his troops, uh, he's he's they're like, well, God created us, like we can't rebel against God, and Satan just tells them all, we know no time when we were not as now. Who's to say that God created us? You know, what created us? Our consciousness is the thing that creates us, and we are responsible for our consciousness. So it's like 
But, you know, most of the angels are still like, well, no, he still did make us. That's like, we can actually kind of prove that. He's like, I don't want to hear it. And uh, there's a Shakespeare play called Coriolanus where uh, this, you know, this child, like the this general who has defected against Rome and is now leading an army against him, his child comes out to see him and is like really upset that his dad's trying to destroy their hometown and weeps. And he says, and he says to his kid, I'll not stand there like a gosling, but stand straight as though a man were author to himself and knew no other kin. Like, there's this desire to act, like, I feel like there is a human desire to, like, to separate from your parents in some way, or a desire to owe nothing to no one. And the main character can never say that because they've been all aspects of themselves, Mm -hmm. that the the main character has always existed in every Mm -hmm. point, time period of their life. No, and that's maybe why he hits the bottle but doesn't drink that much type of deal. Like, you know, he's... You know, he brings this up where it's like, you know, I drink, like, yeah, I take a swig, I don't like being sober all the time. And if this was my, if I had this much of an understanding of how culpable I was in my own suffering and the the shit I put my own self through, I would also probably feel like shit. Like, I might drink too. (laughs) But no, that was, that was such a good story. And thank you for recommending it. Like, I've been wanting to jump into Heinlein for a while, and I feel like this is the perfect place. This was my jumping point into Heinlein as far back as I can remember, and it's a really good place to jump in because in the same way that the bartender, unwed mother, experiences different changes throughout the story, you know, experiencing different thoughts and expressions and and not being able to believe that that's what they used to be like, Mm -hmm. every time I've read this story, I'm in a different place in my life and I read it in a different way. I've, I've read it from the point of view of seeing it as a horror story. I've read it as comedy. Uh, and and it jumps back and forth between those things because of the way you view yourself when you're reading the story. No, it, actually, that's the it's an interesting way to put it because it's like I can I, I see the perspective from so many different angles and they're all very interesting angles to me. Like there's the unwed mother bit, the man sitting at the bar who's not quite the unle- unwed mother. He's more like the angry orphan, the struggling author. Uh, there's the, the, you know, the bartender who knows more than he's letting on. Uh, there's all these different people who are all the same person and we can all be different. We can all be different people throughout our lives. And I think that's a very powerful statement in, unless you're a zombie. Like, exactly. And, and who's to say where you are a zombie at one point in that journey as well? I mean, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for everything. And, and a lot of what the end of the story makes me wonder is does, the bartender now have completely free agency. Has he met versions of himself from the future as well? Or is he completely free now, having completed every aspect of the point of, uh, of time travel that he's seen so far? Does he have decisions he can now make completely free of this system? Or is there more, you know, that we we will never know the answer to? I, no, I, I feel like you're right about that. And I actually think that that might be a great segue into um, heavily influenced or adapted material or like other stories that may share elements of this. Probably the first one, and we both talked about this on the way over, just um, the film Looper. Yeah, Looper, Looper definitely has, and I mean, it's in the title, this idea of, of um, you know, eternal returns and... Uh, the idea of trying to stop what you're becoming and end up becoming it in the process. Yeah, and also like you know by like by like you know their whole system is based off of you know closing a paradox loop. Like you know you, if you so if you haven't seen the movie spoilers, uh, there is a, a period of time in the future where you can 
send a hitman to kill someone in the past, and it's safe and completely untraceable, and it's the best way to get someone offed if you want to. And the people who become loopers, like the people who go back in time to kill people, they get a lot of money. They get, they have a wonderful life. They pretty much have it set. The only downside is you know the day and hour of your death because you are the person who goes to the future to kill yourself. You are the person who closes your own loop. And that's, that I think that that's super interesting. It's not quite so deathy in this. Like, I think that this is a more interesting, like, this guy just fucked his life up, kind of. Yeah, he's, he's the agency of his own misery, but not necessarily his own demise. Mm. And I feel like that actually kind of brings up an interesting moral question. Like, let's say if you had access to time travel and had to put yourself through something horrible, like, to in order to place yourself in a situation where you could save New York City or something like that, um, do you have the right to do that on your past self? Do you have the right to manipulate that course? And, and almost also the other side of that question is not just do you have the right, but do you even have the choice if it's something that's time travel that it's already happened maybe you even don't don't even have the real choice in that matter maybe you have to do it it all yeah it always already was it already will have it already will have had happened fuck i love time travel stories for little turns of time travel tense you gotta you gotta gotta be into it (laughs) I, i actually want to make a recommendation for um the british series red dwarf whose spoiler alerts the main character has a very similar origin story. You don't find out about till much later, but uh, the love of his life, he sleeps with her. Uh, they have a child, and that child ends up being put in a box and left in a bar, and on the box is written Ouroboros, and the people who found him were slightly illiterate and thought that it meant Rob or Ross, <laughs> and that the parents couldn't decide what name uh. to give him. And so once the main character finds this out, he had the option of making sure the child went to parents that loved him, you know, himself in mm-hmm. the present, but he had to close the loop. And and so in the same way, a lot of the time travel uh, stuff that happens in that series and the fate of humankind in the future rests on this person giving themselves the horrible origin story that they always hated and didn't want to give to their child. Yeah. Oh, man. No, that's that's a good, a good recommendation. Uh, was it? I would throw down. Um, there's a wonderful Richard Matheson story uh, called Death Ship, and it's it's very similar to where it's uh, it's actually it's more of a simple closed loop story. Um, it's about these people who get caught in this weird turbulence outside of a planet, and they crash next to what looks like their ship, and they go inside and see what looks like them dead in their ship. So it looks as though somehow they've they've gone back in time or they've gone forward in time see that they try to get off of the planet and die, and then through a very, like, intense process are trying to decide, should I stay or should I go? Like, are we going to stay on this planet? Because uh, we know if we take off, we're going to die, but if we don't take off, we'll die. Like, so it's very, like, it's kind of the same thing. It's very, like, to close the loop, to not close the loop. I, you know, Heinlein would just say, you know, just take a shot of old underwear and close the loop. I like that. Take uh, take a good swig of that old Mm -hmm. underwear. Was it uh, Paradox is another movie. Uh, it came out in the thousands, which I'm not gonna say it was super good. It was an alright, like it was a nice little uh, time travel movie. Uh, it looks it looks like it would be very much at home running on Sci-Fi Channel midday. Um, but that's all. It's a very similar experience where it's like these people invent time travel to try and like take out this one person who 
Like, it's just weird. Basically, the creation of time travel creates the situation in which time travel will be possible. Mm, That's a headache. Yeah, no, (laughs) it it is. And it's kind of a headache of a movie. It's 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. But, like, if you like time travel movies, there aren't a super lot of them. Like, I mean, there's, like, Back to the Future and stuff. But it's, like, I almost feel weird bringing that one up because it doesn't really work with, like, quantum physics logic. No, Back to the Future, rather than being a closed loop, is more like time is a stream and... Uh, if you make changes at the at the beginning of the stream, you can make changes at the end of the stream, too. Exactly. Another recommendation I have has very little to do with this story, or most or like almost straightforward logic in general, but you should check out Primer. Definitely check out Primer, and definitely check your logic at the door, because that movie I've seen about six or seven times now, I think, at this point, and I'm still only beginning to grasp exactly what happened in that movie no i feel yeah i'm with you on that like i feel like i learn a little bit more about what happened in primer each time i watch it so yeah check out primer this uh this short story actually has um a film adaptation uh it came out in 2014 uh starring ethan hawk it's called predestination uh we're probably going to try and do like a mini-sode where we like do a comparison between this story and that film because stay it, tuned it looks good it's got an 84 percent on rotten tomatoes which is like that's a higher thing than mo- that's a higher rating than most time travel movies and that's for good reason most time travel movies are shit like there's very yep. few good ones um but i'm i'm super willing to check that one out like it it looks really good um all you zombies was published in 1959 in fantasy and science fiction and a little fun side note i i thought which we both read uh, it was rejected by playboy the the best hallmark of a truly mind-bending science fiction is if Playboy rejects it. It was, yeah, no, it was, that shit was too real for Playboy. <laughs> Far too real. The sex was too real, the time travel was too real, all of it was too real. See, it might, I think it might have been this really weird, like, sort of uh, 1950s, like, heterosexist type deal with Playboy, where it's like, well, you have, you have this hot shit about, like, a woman having sex with a time traveler, but, like, the woman becomes a man later? Like, what's that? Like, I know, I picture the Disney executives who were with uh, the writers of Back to the Future. So that, <laughs> they bring that back in there. Where they're like, boy, we really love your time travel comedy romp. Can you not make his mom be the love interest? Maybe. <laughs> Just floating that out there. <laughs> and, and thank goodness they didn't no, and Robert, that. No, Robert Zemeckis was like, no, I'm not taking incest out of Back <laughs> to the Future. What are you, crazy, Disney? The incest stays in the picture. <laughs> the incest goes, I go. <laughs> so, uh, that was All You Zombies. Um, you have, uh, anything else to add? Any reflections? Um, final thoughts. Uh, time travel is complicated. Where can I get some of that old underwear? Uh... Also, I think I might go put on the song uh, about the grandfather. <laughs> yeah, we, I haven't been... I, we need to try to find that song, I'm My Own Grandpa, like P-A-W. Yep. What a charming spelling. Yep, very charming. So, no, I um, I'm, I feel very similar. I, I feel like one of the weird takeaways for this story that like I'm, I'm going to meditate on and just be very aware of is, like, obviously I'm not a time traveler, but like... Uh, I'm like I'm going to try to look in my past more, and I'm going to try to see the instances wherein like I I can use my suffering to like better myself. Because really, really like he causes all of his own suffering throughout his entire life throughout the story, but it was all in service of becoming uh, this sort of master time cop. And like I I don't know I think that there's like a little bit of wisdom there. Like there's a wisdom in trying to look at the the traumas that you've suffered not as uh 
hindrances, but um, checks in your favor. Right. You, like, can, you take away the sci-fi and time travel aspects of it, and you say, look back at the incident. How did I play a part in that, and how does that affect who I became today? Exactly. We were, we were talking about this somewhat with uh, Dark They Were and Goldeneye by Bradbury, but like sort of like a weird these weird forms of self-acceptance, and I like it when a new writer can figure out a way to do it. And I feel like Heinlein figured out a way to do it in this. That's very different from what Bradbury did. It's very much like, no, you you take the things that have made you suffer and you make yourself stronger with them. And like, then you don't repeat them. And then you don't repeat them. Like, exactly. Or, like, you understand why you repeated them. Like, you come... It, it's coming also to terms with, like, well, I fucked up in that situation. Why did I fuck up in that... What was I hoping to get out of it? Like, where was this going? Like, why did I think it was going somewhere else? Right. And and not only that, but it also gives you pause to think, well, if I was my own mentor in that situation from the future, what would I tell myself to do? And would I change anything? Yeah. No, he's like... He has this thing where it's... Uh, you know, I wonder about the the young man, where it's like, you know, oh, I know the the man who got me pregnant. He had a face like your me. There's like already this kind of blindness where he and we were kind of talking about this with Bradbury too. Like sometimes the hardest person to see is yourself. So like this person sees multiple versions of themselves, and only the only the latest one is aware of who they all are. To go through this whole situation of like, yeah, this man just took me back in time to the year I got pregnant and gave me a wad of hundreds. And sent me off to find the man who was my father, or or the man who knocked me up, the man who was the child of my father, or the child of my, yeah, the child of my father, I guess. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And and, and they, he still doesn't see it. He still takes the hundreds. He still whips him out in front of his female self. He still dates himself for a year. He still has a baby with himself. Like, yeah, it says a lot about about being able to know that something is a mistake versus actually experiencing it for yourself. So that you mm -hmm. won't make the mistake again, or like you said, know what, why you need to make that mistake again. Um, I think I think this was a good episode. I had a lot of fun talking with you about these stories, and a lot of fun talking with you folks about these stories. Uh, if you have any suggestions for stories we should do in the future, uh, please let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, maybe I'll get us an Instagram, you think? Yeah, get an Instagram. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, greetings from the Mirror Zone. This has been Bryce Skidmore. And David Leskin. And have yourself a good night. Nanu, nanu. Nanu, <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this week's Greetings from the Mirror Zone. Please like and subscribe if you like what you've heard. And be sure to look us up on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud. We'll see you next week when we'll be covering Gender Genocide and The Screwfy Solution by Alice Sheldon. Be well, and we'll meet again.